He says, have you heard of ketamine? And I said, no, I have not. He says, well, it was once a horse tranquilizer. Then it became a party drug. But it turns out we're using it to test and treat depression. And I said, let's get it. From Hamster Wheel Publishing, this is Blonde Dissection. I'm Dave Nichol. On today's show, I'm super excited to be joined by one of my writing and business idols, Chris Brogan. Chris is one of the original group of people who in the late 90s decided the newfangled interwebs thing might just be useful and went all in. A risk that has paid off handsomely as he's became known as one of the leading marketing gurus on the internet. He's also one of the most published authors on the internet and has been described as a content production cyborg due to the volume and frequency of his publishing. But this description would be unfair because there's nothing robotic about the way Chris thinks or writes. His thoughtful, groundbreaking and inspiring style have made him one of the most popular bloggers on the planet and his blog, chrisbrogan.com, is one of the most read in history. But his writing credits don't stop there. He became a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author when he published Trust Agents and he's gone on to write or co-author author another seven books with work published on Entrepreneur Magazine for good measure. All of which means for the next hour or so, you're going to be listening to genuine marketing royalty dipping his toes into the world of veterinary medicine. Now, before we jump into the episode, a quick word from the show sponsor, which is the Vetex Thrive community. If you're a young vet looking to find your feet, grow your confidence, avoid burnout and beat your inner imposter, then Vetex Thrive is for you. As a community member, you will receive success skill training modules, coaching from experienced mentors, and practical toolkits that will all help you thrive in your career. A year-long membership with the community is available for the measly sum of $275. If you use the promo code PODCAST, then in a moment of madness, I will give you a further 10% off. Head to vetexthrive.com to redeem the offer and take control of your career. Now back to the show. Chris may be a huge name in business, but he's no ego. In fact, I've rarely met a warmer, more humble person. In our interview, we covered a lot of ground from marketing to mindfulness, and we dived deep into his most recent project, Dented, an exploration of the vulnerable human condition and how we might better embrace all aspects of the digital lives we all now lead. A particular highlight is a very unexpected use for the drug ketamine. Now, it's a scary thing to meet your heroes, but Chris was every bit as awesome as I hoped. This is a conversation I know you're going to take a huge amount from. So whether you're in the business of helping pet owners by marketing better or the business of keeping yourself sane, this is a conversation you do not want to miss. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the legend that is Chris Brogan. San Diego, I seem to be doing an inordinately high number of these interviews in San Diego, which is you know, boohoo for me. But for the first time ever, it seems to have rained. This is the first time I've seen rain in San Diego, and apparently there is no drought in California for the first time in two decades, which is entirely by the by, because I am joined, and I'm super excited to be joined by Mr. Chris Brogan. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. You have such a wonderful voice. Thank you. <laughs> I, I was, I'm taken aback. I feel like we can end it there. It's not going yeah, to get it, better. It's it. done. So thank you very much. Where can people Good learn day. more about? <laughs> so Chris, I'm going to I'm going to start. Actually, no, I'm not going to start there. I was going to start with a little fanboy thing, but actually, we were talking about something far more interesting before, and that was you didn't couch it as this, but my brain has put a wrapper on it already, and that is the weird and wonderful ways that America seems to build 
its food into other things like you know tell us about the luther vandross i mean i've got <laughs> we were having a convert a bit of context we're having a conversation get the big questions out first about vegan donuts and then we went to luther vandross so i think that needs a little explanation for kickoff I should have Googled the name of the place to give them proper credit, but in Manhattan on St. Mark's, which is a street you know, where all the cool punk rock kids hang, there's a donut shop and it happens to have many vegan donuts, if not all. Yep. And they make a sandwich there, which I believe, if memory recall, is like a veggie burger type of meal, but served between two glazed donuts. <laughs> <laughs> My mind actually boggles. How do you even get that in your mouth? What's the? Is there a strategy? To There's a pushing like that? that has to There's happen. A, it's a squash. A press, yeah. It's a compressor. We'll get to the point where you actually need hydraulics to even maneuver that into your face. Right. That, but you know what I love about that is when people say, how can you be vegan? You're fat. And I say, Oreo cookies are vegan. Exactly. That's like their secret. If veganism was a church, I would say that Oreo cookies are <laughs> their... like, like very thin ice we're getting It's on like there. their evangelical like <laughs> sneak in. It's very easy to be a bad vegan. I, how long have you been, you use the term plant-based. Yes, I say mostly plant-based. So if anyone sees me pushing an egg into my gullet, we don't fight. But yeah, three years I think now. And the fiance as well, she has her bachelor's and a master's now in nutrition. She's almost done a PhD in psychoneuroimmunology. So she's gone on to do all these things around plants and now also a cannabis business for women. So it's really, it's been a journey. <laughs> so eating plants has just been part of that. So I don't flash it. I don't flaunt it, but that's what I eat. Already feel like there's this whole other interview with your fiance. That's like a psycho. I'm not presuming that's not a, a reference to her state of mind or anything like that. So a psycho neuroimmunology. Neuro you know what it really means is just mind body medicine. Yeah, right. Someone just shined it up a little. Got it. I'm starting to see perhaps some links between your project work you're doing on just now and maybe some influences from there. I might tap into that a little bit later on. Yeah, it's, uh, I think synergy. I mean, we all, one and one is three is the best math we could ever have. I'm super excited to have you on today because you were one of my early influences in, you know, blogging is something and, and writing, which the horror of my English teachers is something that I spend a lot of time on. And in a time where, where I was getting into marketing, I noticed something in your writing. I think I came across you not long after I'd read the Clue Train Manifesto. And I was really blown away by the word I'm looking for there is the authenticity of the way that you write, the personality. Almost like when I was reading the words, it was like we were having a conversation. And that kind of got me wrapped and it almost gave me freedom because I was terrible as a sort of, you know, any sort of thing that would be a structured style of writing, prose that would have gotten a good grade from an English teacher. I sucked at that. And suddenly the conversational, almost storytelling narrative way that you wrote just jumped out at me. So it almost feel like you empowered me to be able to write in that way, which engages people better. Let's go back. Where did you learn or what was your sort of backstory leading to blogging, which was where I first encountered you becoming such a massive part of your career? 50% Irish and maybe about a quarter Scottish. I would say that it's in the blood. My mom, whenever she was mad at me, through gritted teeth would say, let me tell you a little story. I think that's maybe part of it too. Since age five, I told people I was an author, but I didn't really do a lot of writing until a certain age. But what I learned early on, there's a few, there's a few pieces to the recipe. And one is 
I never like to say things the same way someone else says them. So number one, I loathe when I hear other people's words being written or spoken by other people, which isn't to say that I don't feel tickled when I see someone quote me. Right. It's a different thing. But I want people to write their own way. Number two, I've always had a wee chip for authority. So I've always really had to push this is it, resonating. push the thumb right up, you know, and say, well, I did the assignment and uh, never to the pleasure of the person I had to satisfy. And I think that that comes through in my writing. Third is just flashed to me while we were hanging out. I was in Austin, Texas at South by Southwest and this is a wild, crazy conference. I don't recommend it. This nice gentleman rolls up on a, a longboard skateboard and I'm told that his name is Whirly. It's William Hurley, but it has forever just been Whirly. And Whirly, first time I've met him, he doesn't know me from Adam, shakes my hand and says, come on, let's go. And I felt like I was about a third into a story. You know, like it, you've read 70 pages of the book, but you forgot. But Whirly says, come on, let's go. And we're, we're off. And he talked to me the entire time I knew him as if we had been friends for 14 years. And as I left and got on a plane, I thought, that's like one of my best friends who I just met. And he's not, and I haven't talked to him hardly since. I want that in writing more than I want even your comprehension. Yeah. I, and I've had this, this is a pitiful compliment. You make me feel good. I'm not sure I learned anything, but I feel good. That's it. Did you have to get permission to do that? Like what was, was there a breakthrough moment or was it, was it a sequential sort of learning for you, a process of evolution? So I found a long time ago, the store to the right of Tesco, they hand out permission. And, you know, from the permission ferry, as we all know, children, you lose your teeth, you get the, the tooth fairy. When you need permission, the permission fairy taps you and you get your permission. I found the wand store. I bought all of them. And now I like to hand it out. I think that I've had so many examples of just assuming my permission or taking it. And and they're worth way too much time than this, this podcast. But I was at an event. It was for the phone company. I worked for the phone company back when there was just the one. And it was a table full of people and everyone was such penny pinching because, you know, it's the company budget and all that. And the fellow at the end of the table says, you know, I'm thinking I'm getting a lobster. And they're all on the other end thinking maybe tuna sandwich, right. you know, right. like real, like fish and chipsy. Yep. And I said, you know, lobster sounds great. I'm from Maine. Lobster's perfect. And we got lobsters. The daggers that they stared the whole rest of the table, but we were the only two who did it. To the victors go the spoils, right? You know, uh, fortune favors the bold. We have so many. Take a chance. My industry or this industry in veterinary medicine, so we're, we're sat here at the Social Media World Conference. There will be, if there are five people from the whole world of veterinary medicine here, I would be gobsmacked. And very few of them will be veterinarians. Maybe I'll kick this off by talking about maybe a bit about small business and the power of storytelling, which seems to be your your thing, your forte. Where are the places, in business generally, let's start there so people can take their own lessons into our niche. Where are the places where you see heinous things being done? Because you come here and you get the sense there's this rarefied atmosphere of, you know, you see great speakers and it's like, this is the way you do that and that's great. And then you go out in the world and you're like, wait, but that's still the rubbish, same push, push, push sort of marketing that we get. I get the sense you're a very future sighted person from your writings and also from your longevity i think in what is a it's often touted as being and, and I, we're both on the other side of a millennial brand here so i mean this with kindness <laughs> but we're in an industry that is almost feels like it's for the young 
but here you are you're headlining you're constantly at these events you're in demand there's a reason for that what are you seeing and how are you staying fresh because that's adding value like that's the reason that you get to do what you get to do where are the value points the levers that most businesses can pull that they're not pulling at the minute that are just they're causing us a lot of pain there are many answers in there so one is uh the reason i can be there pushing 50 is because i appeal to the people who are older still who are in this audience saying i don't understand that lovely child with the bright yellow hat you know i don't understand this person with the rainbow unicorn hair but someone grown up is telling me this might also be useful i have that number two some of the younger folks say well he's been around for a really long time we got to figure out his secret so we can steal his magic and I'm, I'll take it. The other part of that with business and with veterinarians especially, and I'm friends with one, now two. So that's all I have. So I'm never in the social media industry. I speak here because I'm friends with Michael and because I'm somehow accidentally tossed in with it all, you know, because blogging and Twitter and all that are technically social media. But I say that the same way as I would say that, you know, I'm just as much as I'm not a pen author or a typewriter author. I'm an author of books and these are my tools. So when I'm in a hallway and some shiny person says to me, Snapchat is amazing. I always say, no, it's not. And I really suffer no wounds. And I say that email marketing is amazing and it's been amazing since 1990. And I say it still will be amazing long after Snapchat's filed. Uh, you know, they're out. And I think that what companies get wrong all the time, look, we all want people to love what we sell. But it's really until people feel seen and understood that they're really w willing to take a purchase. So my, my other veterinarian friend, Jeff Feynman, Dr. Jeff Feynman, holistic veterinarian, his methods are to say that you are taking your animals for unnecessary testing. You're taking your animals for some things that can cause some pain and suffering. There are some holistic remedies that may be better ahead of this. There are preventative holistic remedies that might keep you from these future expenses. And that story needs a special kind of tell. You know, we have to talk much more about the caregiver of the, the animal. We have to talk much more about the kind of person who buys only whole foods for themselves. Are you going to buy them the Burger King of veterinary treatment? Right. You know, so how do I use the weapons of marketing in a personable way to reach a human? I, I say this all the time. The time for fitting in is over. No one wants to fit in, but we want to belong. That's the quote that I pulled out of here. I have multiple quotes from your work. And that one really comes up again and again and again. Tell us more about what that means. We don't want to fit in. We want to belong. Explain more about that. I get the sense of community. I get the sense maybe community, trust are two words that jump out when I read that sentence. What does that mean to you? Like, How do you express that yourself? And how can a business express that better well everything everything's the factory right i was born and raised in factory towns my grandmother uh, worked in a toilet tissue napkins and kleenex type factory until she retired and loved the work and was quite pleased i live in a factory building that before there was detroit in the u.s making cars my town was detroit for horse carriages so my factory made the upholstery the seats and whatnot it was also the home of the first non-unionized child labor walkout. Some little wee person got mangled in a machine and all the other kids said, I'm not staying around. Not and that it. was there in my building. I have, a, I have a working class appreciation of hard work, but I also think that 
Management is not ready for there to be no factories. School is built to factoryize our children and no one has that rule. So now someone is listening and saying, I never fit in. I never quite did the schoolwork just well. I just wanted to work with the animals and I had to go through these hoops. Now, I'm not barking against credentials. I'm saying that the path and the goal are two different things. And I think that there are things we must satisfy to know that someone has the credentials we want to know that they're going to handle our beloved the way they are. But I also feel that business as a whole, by and large, wants desperately to put us all into pegs. You know, we are exactly this. And, uh, you know, I, I spent my life bucking every one of those as much as I could. And I feel like it's just getting more and more. My 16-year-old my uh, was born female decided she was gay, then decided she was trans and is now identified as a boy. Uh, when I was that age, I'd have just gotten beat up and that had been the end. Right. Uh, but that's not this world. And I love him and that's his choice. And I support that. And I think that the vast amount of business couldn't target my now son to save their lives. And I think that's what's next for business. Artificial intelligence and all these fancy pants things, we still have to just see one human when they come to us. And that's the thing. It's relationship-driven trust then, but at a massive scale. It's the combination, and I know this talk will scare the bejesus out of any veterinarian because we're all completely, you know, we're still getting our head around email newsletters a little bit. AI is a term that's much vaunted and seems to be more more like algorithms that are pretending to be something like that not not really but it seems like the amount of content required the customization of that content the quality of the content that feels like a singularly unscalable thing i mean i think again it was maybe that's harking back to clue train manifesto saying the time for mass individualization is upon us and that was nearly 20 years ago that's correct you know, that's that's one of the books that really slapped me in the face and made me think, ooh, no, there's something to this. How do we start to segment to that level of niche with the resources available? Because you're right, like, the millennials are just the easy target, aren't they? Like, everyone's a millennial. And I think I, I heard Gary Vaynerchuk saying something. Well, actually, I think we've got to get away from that and saying it's about the capability of the individual. Let's not bucket them like that. It's, it's lazy, sloppy marking. I would rather do something really good for a small number of people than something really crappy for a big number of people. That's been the way of business forever. It's, you know, you hear it's the influence of San Francisco's kind of talk. It's like, can you scale it? Can you scale it? Can you scale it? And it's, it's infectious or intoxicating, maybe both. But is it right in this world? Is it what this world needs? Ah, that's the best question. There's so much in there. You are multifaceted. So in America, it's just such a big place. You know, I just traveled from Boston on the East Coast to San Diego on the West Coast this morning. And after those 3,000 miles, I have the luxury of spending more of my time in the middle of the country, in these places that are made fun of for being rural and that. And I enjoy that more than I ever do San Francisco. I've been to many meetings in San Francisco where I've thought, these are spacemen. I must now leave. And I think that, so let's start with veterinarians. Even a decent, a respectable veterinarian hospital, that clientele base is less than a thousand humans. And on any given week, 14 of them come in, you know, or something awful happens and 26 come in with a, the same flea. So you could scale a thousand. 
342,000 people follow my Twitter officially. Fewer now because of the robots, but I tweet my email address all the time and I'm never overladen. Every single Sunday I send out a newsletter, 26,000 people hit me back. I ask them dumb questions. What are you drinking right now? Hit reply. 200 or so. That's it. Right. I can answer 200 emails. Anyone could. So, so scale is never as bad as we think. Now, can a veterinarian speak to 100 people? No question. Yeah. If a veterinarian said, I want to only treat Weimaraners, of course you could. You better be in a place that has posh dogs. I wouldn't necessarily go to like, you know, Doncaster and look, look around for all the Weimaraner owners, but no offense. But I think that the other set of your questions, how does a big company do? Well, Microsoft just did it beautifully at the Super Bowl. Microsoft sells to billions of people. They sell to the military. They sell to schools. They sell to everybody. They made a beautiful commercial about children with different physical abilities, limb issues, and that sort of thing, and how their new accessibility controller allowed gamers to play better as gamers. That's the only bit of that commercial I saw. I looked around and I saw that little snippet of the commercial, and I looked back and I thought, my head exploded for other reasons entirely, but yeah. So Microsoft says, we're going to do this very important thing that says all gamers should play or everyone should play, et cetera, et cetera. Now that same campaign, I hate that word, also covers diversity. It covers uh, gender equality. It covers a lot of other things. It's Microsoft, vast company, vast markets. When they say that, they don't serve only those people. They put the little highlight on it. You know, when uh, you have someone to your house for dinner, you don't give them everything that's in the refrigerator. You prepare a meal. You could do that in your marketing. The thing that just shines out from your writing, the brief time that we've been conversing, is your level of give a shit, I think, is quite high. Not just about your work, but about the world, people. That resonates with me a lot. So maybe it's it's a huge question, but this links in perfectly to a phrase you used, sell clean my industry veterinarians are absolutely averse to selling uh, quite a lot of the time i spend with them is is trying to help them have conversations where they engage they tell stories they share their experiences to build trust and to persuade somebody on the assumption that what they're trying to ask them to do is ethical the right thing for their pet appropriate all of those caveats but frequently veterinarians are very scientists like they're like probably left brain thinkers perhaps like your fiance versus the artist which i think you sound like you're much more of the artistic oh, yes. the right side the that side of the brain but when i saw this the term sell clean i like that term and i wondered if you could expand upon what that actually means and also why should we feel guilty about selling things I don't think we should, but, you know, I gave up Catholicism for Lent. <laughs> Selling cleanly is its such an easy thing to explain. I'll give you a great example. I have a shrink, a uh, psychiatrist, and he doesn't accept insurance, so I have to pay cash. So he's expensive, so I have to really get a lot of good mental care in really fast. Uh, so I suffer from mild clinical depression. And I, I went to him one time and I said, you know, I can't take most all of the commonly available SSRIs for depression because they eliminate your sex drive. And if you think I'm depressed now, imagine if I didn't want to have sex, it'd be over. So I said, what do you got for me that'll let me stay interested in sex? And he said, I've got a great drug. It's, it's this great drug. So he gives me samples of it and I love it. I say, this is great. I feel less depressed. You know, I'm good. So I run out and I'm like, oh, now I'm going to have to pay for it. And, you know, pharmaceutical companies in America, they are waiting for me. 
I'll catch you, say, sir. Come right in. So the, the meeting in is you have to have a meeting to get your drugs. That's that's the rules. Right, right, right. right. Since found Prescribing out. Prescribing controls. Since I found out, thanks, doctors and cops. So I go in and, and he's playing with a metal thing that I am looking at and going, that looks a bit like a molecule. He says, it is a molecule. I said, what molecule is that? Caffeine, I'm guessing, because there's a lot of that, right? You know, he says, have you heard of ketamine? And I said, no, I have not. He says, well, it was once a horse tranquilizer. Then it became a party drug, but it turns out we're using it to test and treat depression. And I said, let's get it. And he said, great. Well, there's two ways. There's the intravenous for about an hour, and then there's like a nasal spray for like maintenance. I said, well, can I just try the shot and then let's go from there? And he goes, yeah, yeah. So I say, what's it like? And he says, well, have you ever done drugs? And I said, no. And he goes, for real? And I said, no, real, like alcohol. That's all I've got. And he goes, it's very hallucinatory. He goes, you have to really be in a controlled environment. This doctor's office is that. And you're going to be there an hour and you need to take like an Uber back and forth. I say, fine, I do it. Now I go in and I, I believe the professional scientific term is I trip balls and like the walls are melting and crazy things. And I've been depressed horribly for like 16 months, 16 months of just wet blanket feeling. I come out the other side and I said, well, that was crazy. I did drugs. And the very next day, I thought, I feel great. I think I'll shower. Maybe I'll get out a little. Maybe I'll go for a walk. Oh, my gosh, I don't feel depressed. Yeah. And yeah. it lasted 14 months. Wow. wow. If he didn't sell me that drug, which he sells for cash for a profit because he'd like to make money, and he has a beautiful house and very many expensive cars. If he didn't sell me that drug, I would be dealing with pharma companies that have a much less quality product. And it gave me my life back. You sell cleanly because you have the solution that someone needs. And it would be absolutely almost criminal for you to hide it from someone. Now, if you sell dog toothbrushes or something, you know, your, your vanity things, dentists love vanity projects. They would love to whiten my awful yellow teeth. They love that sort of thing. That's cosmetics. Guess who wants that? People who want cosmetics. Sell it. What you don't do ever is you don't muddle the sale. You don't invite someone to dinner and then provide them with a bill. And you don't stumble over it as if you're trying to it's like a secret language so that's the trick to me i have another quote how well companies explain to the people they most want to serve that those people belong with them describe more what you mean by that nike in the u.s just launched a big just do it campaign and the anniversary of just do it and uh nfl player colin kaepernick was their stand behind person this was a massive statement and Colin Kaepernick's big push is against police violence. The people against him are trying to make it against the military, against they've really piled on rhetoric to make it such. So you wonder how did that help Nike? They had one of their best quarters in 10 years. You want to take that out, Adidas, your, your European friends, Adidas, decided to make shoes out of ocean waste and they sold 2 million pair. So the way they did it was that the National Football League, which is full of money, denied that money to this gentleman who said, I think I should be allowed to protest because they've given me a massive stage. And they were like, we didn't really think about this before we set up the rules. We didn't expect you to have your own opinion. We wanted you just to be an employee. That's the NFL. The other side of it, Nike and you know Phil Knight, no longer really part of the company, but very voiced in that company says, this is insane. This young man, full of ideals, said, I'm going to step forth. And he made everyone look at all the the content. And I, and I know it was not his idea alone, but 
you know, everyone who said, let's look at this said, we just did a great spot with this, this uh, female fencer who uh, fenced in a hijab. So we launched the Nike hijab line and all that at an inflection point where there's sentiment there. And he, they said, this is what Nike stands for. And that's a challenge. So millennials and younger now are saying that it's something like 80, well, 54.6% of uh, stats are made up. Right. <laughs> so as many as 80% of people 37 and younger uh, want and, and sort of demand that their uh, values work in alignment with the corporation that they want to buy from. If I could buy a coffee cup from two companies and one punches cats in the face, I probably will buy it from the other one. Unless it's cheap and then, you know, out the window. But um, the uh, alignment has to matter, right? So some corporations come and they start. Gillette Razor Company comes out and says, we need to teach men to be better men. And the internet loses their mind. And the internet says, here's your Gillette advertisements across the butts of a whole bunch of women. Here's you saying sexist things. This is the least accurate yep. portrayal ever. Yep. Now we're a veterinarian, right? What's a veterinarian's yep. very dangerous message going to be? You know, one might be, why don't you treat your animal like you want to treat the planet? You could you could get somewhere there. You know, there's with with tribe stuff. The question is always, if I were to plant a flag in some way that I want to show this is my thing, how do I? I have this phrase that I haven't worked into anything yet, but I'll give it to you first. Let Spider-Man be Spider-Man. And uh, I was watching Into the Spider-Verse, that animated one that came out. What is so great about this movie is they just let Spider-Man be Spider-Man. And he does the things Spider-Man should do. And he shoots his web and picks things up and that, right? If you are to attempt to reach the people you hope most to serve, once you've identified in your head who that is, what that looks like, name her or whatever, then you say, you know, I know that your BMW gets detailed once every two weeks. Your dog's teeth are your BMW because that one detail will change the gut health of your animal for a bunch of weeks. And once we know something, we can't unknow it. You know, so then you start thinking, okay, what's the next message like that? What's the next message like that? And it's all from your belly. And you're just saying, I'm just going to keep serving. Like if I'm going to serve posh women, this is how I'm going to message them. And that, that's being a little flippant, but, you know, understand that there's a lot of ways. But step one, identify who your market is. And, and when you're in local business terms and you're not looking across national demographics, Sometimes that can feel a little more constraining and, and there's a pressure to say, well, actually, you know, in a town of 10,000 people, I know 5,000 of them have got animals and I know I need a thousand active patients per year per doctor to make this a, a viable business. And there's three other vets, so I maybe don't feel like I can be too choosy. I'm going to steal terms here, but how do you create blue water or can you create blue water with your messaging, with your your voice, your authenticity, your personality in, in small business versus the red water when you see congested markets? You, I'm thinking like dentists have the same thing. There's a dentist on every corner. Uh, and nail salons and everything else, you know, <laughs> there's there's an everything. I, I live in a town that's only 2,000 people and there are three pizza places and five Chinese places. The way that goes is that you don't ultimately need a thousand. That's at a price point. That where you figured out annual checkup, six months something, a couple of shots, my profit on that. The ways around that are 
there are people who want to spend more and there are people that want to spend the least. And you, you should serve both. You should, it's never a matter of how do I find the most expensive client. But there are people who want the best everything. There are people who want concierge class service. My shrink who I mentioned, if I went with sort of the court-appointed healthcare official shrink, it would take me two, three, four months to get a visit. Well, because I pay cash, I go the day I ask for the visit, right? If I run out of a med or suddenly you know, my drug wears off, I'm there the day. He started a strange side business that I, I poked him a bit. I was like, you literally sell Botox now? And he said, I do. I said, can you justify that, Mr. Shrink? He goes, I can, but you're not going to like it. <laughs> what did he, he say? Says, you know, you inject someone's face and they stop frowning. And the psychokinesthetic language of teaching your face not to frown actually ups your endorphins and dopamine levels. And you technically will feel that burst of happiness. I said, that is baloney, but it sounds good for a shrink. <laughs> yeah, ask him to reference his papers. Identify your market. Yes. We're talking a little bit around, you're almost like you're four C's or four P's of, or, you know, the old school marketing, you still have to create businesses that serve needs in certain of ways. Course. Community feels like it's something different to that. And that's something that veterinarians do this. They don't do it badly. They just don't do yeah, it. Yeah. It could be so easy. Let's take our dog for a run. Right. Let's do a kitten pageant. Let's create the mutts yeah, and butts club exactly. where you can go with everyone who wants to community get out into the park and lose some weight and keep their dog engaged. Exotic animals club. I bought an right. iguana. I bought a very large iguana. He spiral snapped his own arm a day after I owned him. Ooh. I just flipped his arm and busted it. And I immediately had to be in the market for an iguana surgeon. Right. Uh, which turns out there just aren't that many. There's not a ton. So I subsequently had talked to, I had to make that pet find a new home because it turned out I wasn't wizardly enough to manage such a product. It was a young cho choice. So I can tell you that should there have been an exotic animals club i would have gladly had great conversations with people who own snakes and newts and that sort of thing i have a friend who owns one cat and then every other creature he has has scales he likes it that way dear vets it has to be the one that you actually want if you don't like cats don't start a cat club right because you're not going to be in, into it right is that well that leads to the, the next question then is so in terms of using more modern tools, clearly there are principles of marketing that apply across any of the technologies. But I can see there being a club, and I get the sense of you know this, this maybe draws on the niche market. So have the you know the mutts and butts running club for overweight dogs and, and owners, or fit owners and overweight dogs. Have the you know iguana club for avoidance of spiral fractures of arms i mean it starts with the strategy doesn't it who are we trying to make happy and then who do we need to hire to run that because i, I like running and fat dogs so the mutts and butts is all mine like i like iguanas freak me out so that's not going to be my jam i'm going to be a lousy community host for that are you then saying it's not just doable but it's, it's a must to anchor people into your community the niches within your business to then have like, okay, we have the Facebook group or I, and I almost like want to punch myself in the face for saying it because I just don't enjoy spending time on Facebook. But with the tools available, maintaining that community. So once a week you go for a run, how else? What else should we do? Like messaging, email, segmenting the list. Let's break a few things. 
with email. Number one, if you don't already use some professional email service provider, if you are using your Outlook, you're yeah. doing it wrong, and maybe 80% of the mail you're sending isn't really going anywhere. It doesn't say it's bouncing, but most providers don't even allow it in because they're used to small business bill setting up Bill's list on Bill's Outlook, and it goes nowhere because no one wants to really hear from Bill. So you have to go with a MailChimp or a Constant yeah. Contact or whoever. I'm, I'm not religious on this. But now what you do is you have to separate your list. There has to be segmentation. Now, win it, you could do one for I Love Dogs. You could do one for Iguanas. And then the all one, you know, and you hit the all one with, you know, look, I'm broke. You know, you're a doctor. Look, I'm broke. I, our kid wants to go on vacation. Let's cut a couple of coupon deals and get the money in, right? Don't ever not do that. But then the mutts and butts, it could be an email. Uh, Infinite Dial Report just came out a couple of weeks ago. And the only social network, and this is American stats, but the only social network that went up at all was Instagram. Facebook went down. Twitter stayed flat but, and has been for forever. MySpace just lost 13 million somethings of files or something. I don't know if you heard that. And to which everyone said, MySpace? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> is, that, is that like, you know, Friends Reunited? <laughs> so you don't have to pick a platform. Pinterest, you know, uh, there's so many. But where you do that is not as vital as if you don't also have an email presence. Uh, because the people don't necessarily buy straight from Facebook. People don't often buy straight from Instagram. That is uh, social signaling, though. That is saying, hey, we're live. Hey, there's a thing. Hey, top of mind. Physical therapist friends of mine use theirs to show off things like ACL tear maintenance and that sort of thing. Their buyers are sports athletes. And their buyers want to read that and go, oh, I hadn't really had this looked at. Just read that thing that made me think maybe I'm going to come in. Yeah. You know, and that's that's good enough. You, you know it, yeah? I'd be writing. Okay, so let's move over to what most recently you've been posting about on Instagram where I tend to spend as... I, I find myself spending more time there because it seems far less toxic and mentally damaging to be there than Facebook where so many groups just get sucked into this quagmire of... It's like driving a car. The, the, this, Facebook seems to be the, the social media equivalent of driving a car where perfectly reasonable, normal people you'd meet face-to-face turn into total psychos when they get behind the wheel or keyboard. Whereas Instagram has a much nicer vibe or a much more ignorable uh, or less suck-you-back-in-and-chew-you-up way of engaging with you. I love what you're doing right now with your dented and i I don't want to use the word initiative but you know you've you've developed this hashtag this word it's a i don't know it's going to be a movement for you but it's certainly a a way of thinking for you first question there is how did you get to that point like what's the story backstory to starting to move with that as something that you focus and spend your time on and it so resonates in the veterinary space this whole sense of perfectionism. I don't think it's a veterinary thing. I'm more focused in veterinary because of the training you have to go to get there. But this sense of I'm comparing my, what I feel on the inside with what you're posting on the outside. And you just can't win. It's like being hit by a juggernaut when you're flesh and blood. It's just, it's a silly thing. What led you to start moving in this direction? Because it's much more, it feels like the content you're producing, the, the writing, the content you always produced was very you and very authentic. This is more shining a light on yourself. The subject before was marketing and now it feels like you're going more introverted or introspective is perhaps the the right word. There's danger in that. 
I have my moments like every human does where right. something will come and you'll feel quite egotistical. But it, it, that is the voice that's loudest in my head at all times is for heaven's sake. I smile at everyone. When we were down in the lobby, I smiled at every complete stranger for fear that they're like, that's Chris Brogan. And they thought, oh, he's making a sour face at me. You know, that's the fear. So talking about me is not my favorite thing. Uh, I'll give you an example. Friends decided for a bit of a charity, they threw a roast of me. You know, where all these people are going to come and say nice things about me, but say mean things first, right? <laughs> I, I got so horrendously drunk at this. Visibly, obviously, horribly drunk at this. Partly, my friend Joe's wonderful wife kept my gin and tonic full the whole time, and I didn't quite notice after drink two. Yeah. It was just a full glass. And I said, oh, wow, boy. I must be really sipping. And I drained it many times. But two, because I was so embarrassed. Now... I say that to sort of caveat, say why I decided to do this. I'm writing about stress, anxiety, depression, and a whole host of things that people are surfacing to me that they're saying, well, I'm like that too because I was sexually abused, or I'm like that too because I have a speech impediment and no one knows and all these things. So I did it because if I didn't start by talking about me, no one's going to tell me about them. And I've written about my depression for years, and I've written about it quite often like, I deal with depression and I still have to thrive and I still have to do my work and it's still incumbent on me to do many things. It's never like that buck up thing that, you know, people say when they're, oh, just uh, chin up, you know. No, it's not like the British thing. It's uh, not, uh, not allowing that excuse. So throughout time, people have said you should write a book on depression and I say, no, I shouldn't. And uh, the reason is because who wants the depression guy at their conference? And I continue to believe this. So I'm at dinner in New York City, and the fiancé has brought this lovely woman who writes uh, and sells uh, screen things for Lifetime and these sorts of places. And she is not only a successful author like myself, but also has sold movie rights and things. And so she's in films now. And we're talking about this and that. And I have this fiction project that I'm working on, and we're excited about this. And she turns and she says, you know, I've read your stuff on depression. I think you should write a book about that. And then this one says, oh, you should totally write about that. And I got mad and defensive and said that's stupid and got angry, ruined the night. Gracious. Like I kept saying I was such a cordial person. And my fiance said, well, your cordial is clearly just cordial. It's not, you know, I was like, okay, fine. So we had a good fight. And so I said to her after, I said, you know, when I'm like that, that is ultimately when you know I'm going to do the damn thing you told me to do. And I said, and I hate it and I hate me. So months later, I'm like, okay, fine, I'll write this book. And so I started down the path and I was like, I'm not going to write a book on depression. I can't. So two things, the term dented. I, I never bought a very nice thing for myself ever in my life. I brought a brand new Camaro, which was my Batmobile. Uh, midlife crisis, yes, but also my Batmobile. I'm a Batman fan. I wanted this. And I backed it into a post in a parking lot about a month and a half in. Oh. Brand new shiny, shiny car. Kids weren't even allowed to eat in it for a while. You know how they yeah, right, you know right. lie. You know, they'll never <laughs> eat in here. Yeah, <laughs> you could. You could be. You find yourself in the front seat eating Oreos, just in self-loathing. Why me? Uh, so I dented it, and I thought, well, I just got to go get that fixed. And I thought, I'm not going to get this fixed. I'm feeling very Buddhist about this right now. I'm a very lazy Buddhist, and I said, this is beautiful because this really the car functions. Nothing's wrong with it. What's wrong with that dent? Nothing. I love that dent. So dented, no one wants to say they're mentally ill. No one wants to say they have a condition. But if I said you feel dented, 
Do you know how many people, since the few posts I've written, I go to lunch with people and they tell me about their sexual abuse. A guy that I very much admire, he has a stepdaughter now, he just got married, and she is off the rails. She's having amazing behavior challenges. And he asked me my advice, and I said, again, I'm not a professional in any sense of the word. I said, but I'm going to tell you something you're not even a little bit aware to. It's you. It's your fault. And I mean fault because of all of these words, and I highlighted all the words they used, and I said, you're, you're treating it like a behavior challenge. This girl has issues. You're telling a kid who's missing a leg to start running, but you got to get her a prosthetic. And it was hard for him, but he immediately got to it. And so to me, the way I'm looking at this work is that society has pulled us into this velocity. People listening to your show and who have are being told over and over again, you got to get out in front of the camera. You've got to make things. You've got to put your face out there because that's how it works. And they're saying, but I'm shy. I'm introverted. That's why I became a vet and not part of a rock band. Half, half of my team, I, I said, hey, can we get some video biogs? And there's 10 of them. And you're all fabulous, by the way. And three of them said, yeah, we'll do that. And then the others were like, shove that up your butt. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Because they're too fat or they're too old or they're too ugly or they're not good in front of a camera, whatever that ever means. So now I'm a professional speaker. I said as I walked through the door, I haven't spoken more than twice in a few months. As I scroll Instagram, it is essentially a slide deck of my friends at other conferences. And I'm like, oh, I didn't get invited to that. I'm not speaking there. I'm not speaking there. Oh, look at that little performance, right? What a loser, right? So there's that in droves. And, and every bad thing that anyone said when you were younger, you know, your mom or your dad said that thing that one time or your teacher said that thing that one time. And it is forever that sentence. And I work with people now through this material, not to say I know anything, which is the, the, the scariest part, especially for people listening, right? I'm no professional. But what I get for feedback is this. I wouldn't listen to this from a shrink. You're like an idiot doing his idiot job saying, I'm kind of broken, but I think I could figure it out anyway. And they're like, that made me realize I could do it. And I'll get the craziest messages now. I will get, uh, hey, I took a shower today. And as a person dealing with depression, to me, that means the, the cloud broke for a minute. And so I cheer that like they just ran through the finish line. The way I'm going to write the book as far as I know today, it's a, it's a book about culture, as it turns out. It's a book about everything's going so fast. Now what? And every, our brain is under assault like never before. Um, there's just that big study that just said social media uh, rise in teen depression and teen suicide. The only thing I know for sure is that that study only studied teens. They say they studied the other samples, but when you look at the numbers, as we both know, any study that goes into PubMed, you could use either case. Every single study, you can make either case, right? You should have sugar. Oh, sugar's bad. So when I looked at the study, I thought... I don't think this is just teens. I just think that their sample was a little more effective of teens. Yeah. As a father of a, my daughter's six, that is one of my, you know, instinctively, it's just the language you use. Like, that's one of my worries, fears, anxiety. You know, it's like, no, it's actually, it's one of the things I think about now the most is I think about how I feel when I have spent any time on Facebook. I think about how you know, the Zuckerbergs or whoever, you know, it's their job. I heard the saying today that Netflix doesn't see Amazon or sell their guys as competitors. They see sleep as their competitor. I'm like, what is wrong with this way of thinking? You know, it's like one of our fundamental, most important needs. 
And when in veterinary medicine, we have four times the national average of suicide rates. It's insane. I think maybe last week or last month, there were five suicides in North America. You know, there's no one in this profession hasn't had somebody go down like that, which is horrible. And you think, I just don't see how social. It's that comparison, isn't it? It's that, like you said, seeing everybody else's slideshow and video reel floating through. We have to, in some somehow, find a way to immunize ourselves mentally against that. How do you manage that with your your mental health um, struggles? How do you manage that? Because you do spend a lot of time on social. Sure. Uh, well, one is that when you say a lot of time on, you can spend a lot of time reading it, which is like eating a whole bag of crisps, you know, or chips, depending on where we are on the planet. I'm good with both. Yeah. I'm bilingual. Um, that's why I always say soda pop when I travel the U.S. because some places it's soda, some it's pop. So I say both. And if you hate, yeah, if you're in Scotland, you just call it juice. Juice, juice is everything except milk and and, and beer. beer. I yeah. like that. That explains something in Edinburgh the other time. Um, <laughs> Let's go down the rabbit hole. All so other consuming yeah. social media can make you miserable, but posting and creating, of course, you know, is you're, you're reaching. My 16-year-old, who I mentioned uh, is trans, finds such solace in talking to other people about things like gender dysphoria, which is the big challenge behind being uh, a trans, is that you're, you know inside you that you're a male, but you were born with all the female parts. Just, it just doesn't make sense to you. And so he goes out and finds all these... Uh, memes and jokes and funny things from other trans people and shares those and I, I learned so much about him through his sharing uh, so when I use social media I'm almost always posting not so much reading but today on the on the plane I'm looking at it a little bit and I'm like oh there's someone at a conference and then I thought I'm at one <laughs> I'm at a conference and so I was okay this time when I'm not okay then I write books or when I'm not okay this is my trick about dealing with depression go help someone else uh, because depression is a belly button uh, disease. You know, you look at your own belly button a lot when you're depressed. So if you can help someone else. The problem, again, with veterinary, of course, is you're putting someone's beloved. You're in that spot where someone's beloved might end their breath in your hand. And it and, and might means will. And will means more than one time a month sometimes. Yep. Or, or a, a day, day frequently. Yeah. yeah, because they don't bring their super, super happy, healthy animal to you. Oh, we have a thing. I've got to tell you about this thing. It's called the Christmas clear out. And it is exactly what you think. And it's, it's gallows humor. I smile not because I'm happy about it, but because every veterinarian will have experienced this where you have the old animal who's inconvenient, family are coming to stay, they don't want the dog peeing or pooing all over the place. So euthanize. Right before Christmas, the, there's always a spike at a time of year that's meant to be joyous. It's actually a pretty, pretty sad time. But that's, that's probably not what gets veterinarians down because having to end the life of something that's in a pretty miserable condition itself doesn't have an impact. It's the young ones, the ones you could fix. That, that's what kills you. It's the that's worst. What, yeah. So how do I use social is that, you know, I don't use it for medication and people do. And I don't use it for justification. I loathe cliches, but sometimes they're there for a reason. And there's that one that goes around so often from those gurus that says, you know, don't compare your marathon life to someone else's highlight reel. I hate it. I want to get so stabby. But the but that's true. Yeah, And I, I made a face on my Instagram the other day with my hair all mussed up. And I said, you know, no one shows this picture. They show their best hair day. And I think that life is a lot like that. When we compare, we're already failed. I mean, that's uh, the big, big lesson I learned from the kind of Buddhism that I practice is that you need to detach 
from praise and criticism. You can't become addicted to praise because that is a painful, painful medication. And you can't really deal with criticism anymore. I had to untangle. And one of the things I untangled from, I love my parents, uh, but they had so many expectations. And when I wasn't what they wanted, you know, my parents are proud as hell of me, but at every turn, I would say, I'm not going that way. And then I would pick another path. And most times I do okay. And sometimes I'd burn and crash into the ground. But once I realized that I would never choose to fulfill their version of the story of me, then, oh, my life was so much better. And I think all humans have someone that they think they're still trying to fill their life for. Right. It's when you find your own purpose and your way that things can really start to open up and be a lot different and a lot more fun. Okay, I'm I'm got one eye on the clock and you've not gotten stabby with me yet, so that's good. So can I kick like two or three much smaller, yeah, more fun questions at you? Actually, these are all fun. That's the wrong choice of word. First one is, what are you most proud of in your career and, and why? I mean, aside from obviously this podcast, which is obviously yeah, going to be a highlight. highlight. It's a little unfair that the first book I published was all of the awards. It's a New York Times bestseller. It's a Wall Street Journal. This sounds so braggy, but there's a point. Uh, Amazon, Inc. Magazine, 800 CEO Read. I won all the awards on the first book. And I thought, well, that wasn't all that hard. That's my life. My life has been accidentally achieving the lowest rung of something and then thinking I'm really good at it and then not and then suffering. So my last eight books have not been that successful um, on my 10th. So that's not, I'm not that proud of that. What do I brag about? I brag about the opportunities that writing has afforded me to meet so many of my heroes. So Richard Branson, I was on the Dr. Phil show. I met the Sheikah Mariam of the United Arab Emirates, an actual princess. And every time I'm forever thinking, I don't think you meant to invite me, but thank you. I'm glad to be here. You know, I'm, I guess I'm most proud of those moments where something as dumb as typing has afforded me to be in the room with someone I should never be in the room with. Right. So I know you are big into Batman and you like your comics. We have a shared interest and love there. So what's your superpower? If you had a superpower, what is it? And what's the superpower you wish you had? Ah, uh, that's a great question because of the second part. You know, because... I always thought that should like the radioactive spider bit me, I'd have been, I wished I was from Krypton. You know, I would, I would not even be happy with that. I had Spider-Man's powers. My personal superpower happens to be, I think, making people feel validated and that they're worth it. And I am blessed every day that I have that power. I'm blessed that when someone goes, I feel something, you know, I love that. And that's the power. The power I wish I had, uh, flight, you know, boy, that'd be great. You know, we're just down the street from the Navy SEALs. I'd like to fly over, say hi. Yeah. Like just, just fly you, not yeah, yeah, yeah. There wouldn't be a particular be okay. mode. I, you know, because you know what? If I were flying and I had like a, a clothes iron or something, I've got you. No, that's not for taking out creases. That's just right for dropping on people's heads. It's for putting in a crease. <laughs> you spend a lot of time on Google Earth zooming in and out. I don't want to answer that. That is a yes. I like. I spend an inordinate amount of my time doing that, especially on planes with long haul. Like when you get a modern plane and you can actually zoom in, I'm like, oh, that's, you can go anywhere in the world. Wait till it's real time. It'd be you cool. Wave to yourself from the satellite. <laughs> what is? I didn't say the best is the right word, but what's the the best, funniest, weirdest, or most impactful piece of advice you've had that has 
stuck with you for the longest you can take that whatever uh, way you fancy i'm gonna tell both uh one is the advice i received that was rather helpful to me and then advice that i give anytime anyone asks me for advice my advice is always be helpful it is 100 percent the easiest advice to give and it is always the right advice uh someone will say to me i've been out of work for four years go help someone it always pays off that's someone saying to me, I've been out of work for four years. And I say, go be helpful. And they're like, okay. And then they get a bag of money. The best advice I ever got, Marsha Collier, who lives up the street a little bit in Los Angeles, she took me aside at an event. And I was a bit scrappier in social back in the day. Come at me and I'm going double at you. Bare knuckles. Like, so she said, you must be kingly. Kings don't do that. Kings ignore that part. I said, I can't ignore it. I feel like that feeling that that's me being aloof. She goes, then be aloof, be a king. Because kings don't hand the microphone out at the event, right? When you go to a rock concert, you go to see Bono. You don't go to see what people think of Bono. And I said, okay. And so to be a king has been, since I think 09, has been one of those thoughts that's always on on my crown. You, you mentioned in your post, 2006 was kind of like an amazing year in the three words. And you've got some interesting choices of of words there what word has served you best and what words do you think i wish i'd never put that on the list oh there's about 8500 words that i never wished i'd put every time i get clever there's a little line in fight club where he says clever how's that working out for you and i hear that in my head every day every day the minute i want to be clever then it's like you're you know you're gonna die ask do and share were the 2006 words and of those it's so hard i if I do ask that I'm doing What's-His-Face's book, do is like Nike, and then share sounds like such balls until you like realize that that was how I made all of my success. This, listen, veterinarian friends. People found me early because I was very willing to be a public idiot over and over again. I said, I'm going to try this thing, and it would work, and I'd go, it worked. And i go, I'm going to try this thing, and it failed, and everyone saw. And guess what I did next? I just did it again, and figured it out you know it's all good i failed so many times in public and loudly but never in those things that are like the most detrimental and i guess that's probably the best way to fail was there any lesson when you failed in public that you're glad occurred in particular the meta lesson of it all is own it early just really come up to it and be like yeah whoa that didn't work you just say it because i am i am flabbergasted how many people try to dance around a failure you know, quit faster, fail better are two of my little things now. And when I say fail better, you know, land a little more gracefully. Apologize to the person if you've upset or hurt someone in that failure. Make amends where need be, just like the 12 steps programs say. And I, I say that the, the thing I'm most gracious about is that my failures almost often come from when I choose not to be me or when I try to be a little more grown up or a little more posh or a little more something. I will always fail. The world, the universe, God and everyone in it says, Chris, you are this guy right here. It's not much, but that's who you are. So don't try to be these other ones because it's not because they're already taken, like it says on those dumb cards, but because you're going to mess them up. If I have three words that have come out of me, I think from the conversation we've just had for you would be care, authentic, produce. I'm grateful, Chris. I, I could spend so much more time learning from you and, and chatting with you. Really grateful for your time, sir. That's This was an unexpected pleasure. 
privilege, certainly the highlight of, of my time here. Previously, you thought this is going to be terrible. I'm not sure why I even asked him. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for the, I mean, the writing, the inspiration, putting out the good vibes, the dented. Uh, that is going to help just so many people I know. And thank you for your candor and sharing on the show. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hello folks, just me again. How awesome was that? My massive thanks to Chris for giving up his valuable, valuable time. Um, what I didn't say on the show, and which I would strongly encourage you all to do, is to follow Chris. He is such an approachable guy, and I know he will appreciate the shout-outs and the support. All of his social handles are at chris.brogan, so hop on there and tell him that Veterinary Medicine says thank you for all the work that he's doing. Also, don't forget to leave me a review on iTunes if you can do that. And tell your friends about the podcast. Word of mouth is a big deal. So thank you for listening. And until next time, be safe, be well, be happy.